0: Good morning, and welcome back to the Family Herbalism podcast. Today's episode is going to be the most controversial that I have shared so far, for sure. And I feel like I'm supposed to add a disclaimer about how modern medicine is helpful for emergencies and serious cases, and that if I don't tell you that, I'll be breaking some common rule of etiquette. I feel like that's what everybody does and I know I've done that before when talking about other options as if somehow someone's feelings are going to be hurt by not bringing up modern medicine as the uh, assumed ultimate rule and say, but I don't think I really need to do that today. I think you're smarter than that. Uh, I don't think that you need me to tell you when you need certain types of healthcare And I definitely don't need to give myself a backdoor from which to escape after giving you my opinions. My mission has always been to expand options and not take away people's right to choose what they want. My mission has been to give people respect for their personal choices. This episode is specifically intended to demonstrate that some forms of healthcare are still lacking in respect due to them and that this is depriving people of complete and adequate care. So I want you to listen to what I have to share, and then decide for yourself what makes the most sense in this case. This episode was inspired by a student uh, at one of the classes that I taught last week on herbal medicine, and he asked this question, what do you say to people who say there is no proof that herbs work? And he asked that because he said he had been to his doctor and asked questions about certain herbs. What do you think about this herb or that herb? And the doctor would tell them, oh, there's no proof. There's no proof that works. You're wasting your time. And this led to a conversation that I had with my husband about why people are questioning their doctors and relying on, quote, alternative medicine in ever-increasing numbers. We have definitely seen a growth in the number of people who are choosing not to work with their doctor, but instead to do health on their own. And this was true before I started getting into herbs 15 years ago, but I have noticed even in my own circles that this has been true. An ever increasing number of people who are open to alternative options and who are not necessarily satisfied with the options that they have been given. So what I'm going to do is start by answering that question about what do you do when someone says there's no proof and how do you find that proof that is there, that is available to us. And then I'm going to get into the fun stuff. Some, some of the drama and inconsistencies in the stories that we hear around alternative medicine in the mainstream media. So where do you look for evidence? There is, contrary to popular opinion, a vast amount of information available on the efficacy of herbal remedies. And I remember being exposed to this early on when I was exploring aromatherapy and essential oils, and how if you look up uh, frankincense or peppermint or ginger, or lavender, oh my goodness, there are so many studies on how these work in the body, how helpful they can be, and maybe even some information about what form they should be taken in or what you should, when you should avoid them, for example. The studies are out there, but I wanna talk about the different types of studies that are available, and I wanna talk about the difference between, quote, scientific studies and alternative methods of learning about herbs and their appropriateness. So when people talk about studies being approved or uh, you know scientific studies that are accepted, they're talking about certain types of studies that have been used by the medical system, the medical establishment, to prove their own drug's efficacy. So you have studies like the randomized controlled trial, which is what most people refer to as being the gold standard of studies. And it is one of those that's difficult to disprove if it's done well and with very limited bias, which is important to know if, you're, if the study is going to be affected by the author's opinions and their personal experiences. But they also have cohort studies qualitative data studies and case studies. And I want to pause on the case studies because this is when a university or another group invests money into dedicated study around a certain area and then they choose specific cases, specific patients, and they document everything. And they follow this person or small group of people to analyze the effects of certain medications or procedures on their health. And it's so interesting that this is considered uh, acceptable by medical care as, as a reason to devote money or time or energy or whatever into this area of study, because what they're doing is say, say we, we picked on, um, aspirin, for example, and they did a case study on 10 people who had, who took aspirin and the effects that had on their cardiovascular health. And let's say that that the results were positive, that it actually worked. Well, now based on that very small group of people, that those results will be published and now doctors will be encouraged by pharmaceutical companies to start recommending aspirin to their patients when we don't know for sure if those effects would be replicated elsewhere. And it will even say at the bottom of the study, more information needs to be learned. More studies need to be done to confirm that this is true. But they will take action on it based on a small number of people. However, When you look at the way that traditional or historical documentation was made by people like old school doctors, by herbalists, by midwives, by other alternative care providers, they're doing the exact same thing, documenting their cases, documenting what was happening before, the symptoms, the signs, you know, all the information. And then they document their process, what they did, what they tried, did it work, did it not work, here's the time frame, here's the situation, and then here's the results. They do the exact same thing. I'm supposed to do that for my own continuing education, but it doesn't count as scientific research. And I am sure that there is a lot of uh, strict rules about how to document information but when you really look at each of the categories of information that is required, you have to ask yourself, what is the difference between these scientific case studies and the anecdotal evidence, well-documented evid- um, anecdotal evidence the stories that are recorded by the actual practitioners and what they're experiencing? Historical and traditional documentation is where stories of how a substance benefits people has been documented by professionals or laypersons, but has not been published in professional journals. Instead, time proved those uh, remedies or techniques to be effective, and the same treatments are passed down from one generation to the next and assumed to be accurate because people keep having good experiences with them, and the documentation around them is very good. This is considered anecdotal evidence, and it's looked down on by Big Pharma because it is outside of their approved realm. They can't control it, but it doesn't make it any less useful. The question is, do you believe science as the study of how the world works is open to everyone to learn and explore? Or is it only acceptable when a giant organization says that sufficient money has been spent to document it accurately? See, herbs are difficult to control by companies like the American Medical Association because people can grow them in their backyard. And so since they can't control it, they relegate it to quackery, as I'll soon show. Herbalists and doctors alike have been documenting their experiences for millennia. And it's funny how people who esteem the medical system will refer back to old medicine with respect, but not herbalists who had similar practices. It simply leads to more questions. Remember that if there are no scientific reports on an herb, it does not mean it doesn't work. There will continue to be more studies available on herbs over time. Every year we have more and more studies released on herbs and medications and all kinds of things. But until then, if you can't find research around a specific herb, there are other ways to learn about the efficacy of the herbs that you're looking for. So if you want to actually research where, you know, where do you find information about specific herbs and how well they work? Well, I do recommend searching for specific herbs of interest through PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D. It's the largest free search engine for medical studies, and you can also find decent information at healthline.com and medicalnewstoday.com. I have used both of those websites just for confirmation This is not where I get information about how to use and work with herbs, but if I'm looking for what are current studies, current research being done, I will add that to information that I already know about plants through my own studies. Many universities also publish their own studies. So if you're looking up websites and you see, uh, let's say for example, a New York Times article on an herb And an article published by university, you want to go to the one that is published by the university because even if they have their own tainted bias in this report, it is still going to be backed up by a lot more information that is applicable than the opinions being shared by the New York Times author. If you're interested in paying for a membership, the Journal of the American Medical Association, the British Medical Journal, and the New England Journal of Medicine have also published studies on herbs, and you can often see the summaries of these studies for free even without a membership. And I will also add that if you purchase herbal books by seasoned herbalists, they will include the research around the herbs that they recommend up to the date that the, book are, the books are published. Authors like Stephen Buhner, Matthew Wood, David Hoffman, Anne Wormwood, Phyllis Delight, and Rosemary Gladstar are all really good herbalists to learn from. So, out of curiosity, I decided to explore what people are saying in the mainstream media about herbs, because, uh, you know, I've heard people talk, kind of hint at, you know, this whole question of well, I don't know what to say to people who suggest that they don't work, you know? And it's like they can't seem to find information that is in the positive about herbs. And that surprised me because I'm surrounded by positive information about herbs. So I wanted to see where this information is coming from. What are people actually saying in the media about herbal and other natural forms of healthcare? And, Uh, So what I found was actually rather disturbing and surprising, and I'll get into that in a little bit, kind of my thoughts and opinions about the whole thing. Um, But I'm going to include some studies that have been done and give you kind of a summary of what these were all about. In 2018, the BMC Complementary Medicine and Therapies Journal, presumably in favor of alternative medicine branches, that's what complementary medicine refers to, published the results of several focus groups in which the goal was to determine why herbs were being used and what for in Germany. The majority of the participants focused not on general health or preventing illness, but on treating mild to moderate illnesses, either on their own or before seeking medical help. This sounds very similar to the way that herbs are used in the U.S., The four reasons they chose herbal remedies were dissatisfaction with conventional treatment, past good experiences with herbal remedies, benefits associated with herbal remedies, and family traditions. And as for where they got their knowledge to begin an herbal regimen, independent reading and family traditions were considered equally or more important than consulting medical experts. Probably because the medical experts couldn't tell them a whole lot about herbs, and that would be the case in America. While this information was not terribly surprising, the authors of the article suggested that the results were concerning, that herbal medicine is, quote, potentially harmful, and that governments, doctors, and drug companies, and these are the three that they mentioned, should be issuing more information around herbal medicine to the public. They said that that they should be made aware of the lack of trust in the system so that they can raise awareness around issues about herbal health. And really all that said to me is that they, these drug companies, these government bodies, they need to be made aware of this so that they can increase the amount of reassuring marketing that they have available around their own medications. This is really disappointing because this study could have been used to promote safety and safe use of herbs, or by suggesting added education around them, uh, or by recognizing trained herbalists. Hey, if you want to use herbs, this is who you go see. But instead, it was used for this other purpose, and I feel like these authors who claimed to support alternative medicine were very disconnected from the intention of the participants. It almost feels like the participants who volunteered for this were used because I don't think they would have been very happy to know that their success stories were used against them in this way. Then we have a study of over 700 survey respondents, which is supposedly more valuable than anecdotal documentation. Uh, It was published in the Journal of American Medical Association in 1998, and it found that alternative medicine users were more educated, had poorer health, had a holistic orientation toward health, and had had a transformative experience that had changed their worldviews. And I'm not really sure what that stands for. Without having a membership myself, I would not be able to see what kind of transformative experience they're discussing. But they concluded that people were choosing herbs not because they didn't like other options, but because it fit better with their own worldview. And it was not an unfriendly conclusion that they made. They did say that only 4.4% were relying primarily on alternative therapies. And so they felt that people were using herbs not because they were dissatisfied with conventional medicine, but because it just fit better. You know, the herbs fit better with their own priorities and values. Okay. So here I feel it is important to talk about the obvious question, which is what is alternative therapy? And is it the same thing as herbal medicine? I don't want to assume that we're all on the same page with this. So I want to show you or tell you how I see these, this language and how I see the words being used in mainstream media. The quick answer is a distinct no. They are not the same thing. Alternative medicine is the name given to any health-related practice outside of what has become conventional medicine. So you have mainstream, modern medicine, and then you have alternative options. It includes massage therapy, nutritional therapy, herbal remedies, aromatherapy, homeopathy, midwifery, hypnotherapy, and many other methods that have worked for a very long time for very many people. Herbal medicine specifically is the use of herbs or other plants to restore homeostasis in the body and encourage the body to heal itself. Some people use herbs <clears throat> as a treatment alternative to medication. You know, if I if I feel like I have an upset stomach, then I'll take ginger to help with that. But holistic herbalists recognize that herbs only work when the body can use them to function better and heal itself. I remember working with a midwife who talked about that. Like, we can use some herbal remedies to jumpstart labor, but if the body is not ready to start labor, it's not going to happen and the herbs aren't going to work. And so that's a very holistic way of approaching this. We know that herbs are effective but they don't cause things to happen, like medication. They help line things up in the body to work for itself. The reason that I'm relying on the term alternative here is because studies that focus on collective alternative therapies do give an idea about the same people that would use herbs and similar studies on herb users are not as readily available, unfortunately. They're just sort of lumped together in the media. So a little history lesson excuse me i knew much of the history around herbalism as part of my herbal studies you know we go back hundreds thousands of years to learn where herbalism started what was the documentation around them what kind of herbs were they using but the more recent conflicts like within the past 50 years surprised me most of what i had learned was up to the past 50 years but not more recent information I've been submersed in herbalism and natural health for a long time, and I take it for granted that herbs work. They have worked for my family. They worked my clients. So while I understand that some people hesitate around it because they're not familiar with herbs, I have never actually heard such hostile reactions to natural health. And this confuses me because even though I know it shouldn't, I've seen the opposition to home birth, homeschooling, abstaining from vaccinations. I should have anticipated this as well because it's another example of how some groups of people are choosing to remain outside the institution of a government-approved lifestyle. But for all America's talk about being a country that protects freedom of choice and individuality, we're pretty far from it. Sure, you can choose to do something outside their four walls, but you'll be ridiculed, insulted. And in some cases, even stripped of your natural rights. To see more about that, all you need to do is look up cases of parents having their kids taken away from them because they homeschooled or chose not to vaccinate their kid. It's insane. Okay, but let's go back to the actual history lesson. So from about the year 1900 to the year 1970, anything outside the approved realm of medicine was literally called quackery and irregular medicine. The AMA actually had a committee just for investigating so-called quackery until 1975, as if they had the authority to approve or disapprove of what people chose to put in their bodies. In the early 1970s, the medical establishment changed the name in light of public demand, which had been occurring in growing amounts in the 1960s, to something a little bit more acceptable, and they called it alternative medicine. But if you look up alternative medicine today, you will find through a simple Google search, probably the same definition that I found, which is, and I quote, that alternative medicine is a practice that aims to achieve the same healing effects of medicine, but which lacks biological plausibility and is untested, untestable, or proven ineffective. You guys, I read that and I thought, I am going to throw up. This is nothing short of manipulated mass marketing of a grossly overpaid organization that seeks control over the population. We're still calling herbal medicine biologically implausible. We're calling it untested when their own organizations are testing it and proving that it is effective. It doesn't make any sense. It's just a bunch of media that is completely misinterpreting the truth. Or maybe they're intentionally doing that? Anyone who does any reading at all knows that so-called alternative medicine is largely scientifically proven. They just don't like to acknowledge it. Take the work of Candace, Dr. Candace Peart, who worked in the 1970s, and I read about her recently. She proved on a molecular level that emotions trigger physiological responses in the body. Between the early 1600s, when Descartes promised to the church that he would dissect humans for research but leave the emotions alone, in the 1980s, it was believed that emotions and bodily experiences were completely separate. That was the accepted uh, belief system around emotions and the body. Then we have biochemist Casimir Funk who found in 1913 that food, imagine that food was directly connected to deficiency diseases. Before that, scurvy, beriberi, rickets, and other deficiency diseases were unexplainable and therefore difficult to prevent or treat effectively. How about chiropractic care, which has been in organized existence for more than 120 years. In the early 1900s, Hundreds of chiropractors were jailed every year for practicing medicine without a license. Many were denied entrance into the military. And in the 1970s, as as recent as the 1970s, the AMA called it a, quote, unscientific cult. And yet scientific research continues to prove that chiropractic care is at least as effective as conventional care for many people. And it's now considered mainstream practice. It took a lot of work for them to get there midwifery same thing standard of care for women with generational midwives practicing for millennia until doctors started training themselves and began calling midwives quacks witches and all sorts of derogatory names scaring women into giving birth in the hospital even though women were dying by the dozens in hospitals with childbed fever because doctors were going from sick and dying patients to maternity patients without washing their hands This was like 100 years ago, not that long. Even today, home births have far better outcomes than hospital births. And this is scientifically documented, but it's not talked about in mainstream media. You have to look for it. See, marketing of alternative medicine today is designed to convince people that herbs, meditation, massage, nutritional work, are all new concepts that are unproven, when in reality, most of these have proven the test of time and been around far longer than, quote, modern scientific medicine. It's all about who has the money to test their products and mass market them. And seeing as pharmaceutical companies are businesses focused on profit and so-called alternative providers are there to help people get well, regardless of what tools they have to use, it's easy to see how we ended up in this state. Take, for example, acupuncture. This method of healing has been around for a very long time, but only in the past couple of decades has it really been used in the U.S. And since then, we've developed acupressure and emotional freedom techniques and other techniques that are based on this very old, very proven system. So a little story, a couple of weeks ago, this would be, yep, at least two weeks ago, a little over two weeks ago. I woke up one morning, and I suddenly had this really stiff feeling in my upper vertebrae. Uh, it, was, it wasn't painful, it was just very stiff, and it would be worse in the morning or at the end of the day, and it just wasn't going away. I did my exercises, nothing helped. I did some stretching, nothing helped. <clears throat> I've done, used some oils, nothing helps. So it went on like that for over a week, and then I happened to be reading a book, I'm still reading this book, called The Tapping Solution, which uses acupressure points to reset the electrical uh, pathways of the body, and I thought, you know, what do I have to lose? I'm just going to try this and see what happens, right? I'm just, I'm curious. I want to learn about all these things that are available to us. So I did this exercise. It took me 30 seconds, and immediately afterwards, I literally felt this, like, warming expansion feeling in my upper spine. The next morning I woke up and it was gone. Like all of the stiffness was gone. I still don't understand completely how that works, but it works. I didn't have to go to a chiropractor's office. I didn't have to go see a massage therapist. I didn't have to go see a, a, you know, um, any kind of conventional doctor. It just healed itself. But no matter how proven these methods are and how many lives are changed, the media continues to report that it's useless. Get this, a reporter for the New York Times said in 2016, and I quote, Americans spend more than $30 billion a year on dietary supplements, vitamins, minerals, and herbal products, among others, many of which are unnecessary or of doubtful benefit to those taking them. That comes to about $100 a year for every man, woman, and child for substances that are of questionable value, end quote. This is paid marketing. How about another money statistic? The average American spends $1,200 a year on fast food, 12 times as much money on food that is scientifically proven to make you sick, but that's acceptable and vitamins are not. Or, how about the Washington Post, which reported last year, and I quote, How is it that perfectly respectable public health initiatives, such as vaccines and water fluoridation, give rise to suspicion and conspiracy theories, while an entire industry that's telling us out and out falsehoods in order to take our money gets a free pass? Dietary supplements, people, where's the outrage? Every year, Americans spend something like $35 billion on vitamins, minerals, and botanicals and various other substances that are touted as health-giving, but mostly do nothing at all. Nothing at all! Exclamation point. End quote. Aside from the fact that this is a bunch of hogwash and that their own studies prove otherwise, you can clearly see the derogatory language used to discourage people from trusting nature. They're saying, fake is better. Chemicals, genetic modification, heavy metals, plastics are safe, but herbs are dangerous. Plants. Plants are dangerous. Let's just start dipping our nursery wallpaper in DDT again, shall we? It seems a more socially acceptable form of witch hunts are still on, apparently. Ask the people who have improved after their doctors abandoned them. A client whose doctors shook their heads and said, I don't know, to their war-related injuries. A client who tried everything the doctor gave them and was experiencing only a worsening of bacterial symptoms. A client, a child, told they would just have to live with it. Live with it for life. Each of these improved or healed for the first time with herbal remedies under my care. I could tell you story after story after story of real people who literally said they came to me because I was their last hope. They had tried all the conventional options and nothing was working. And they were completely discouraged and believed that they were stuck in their situation. And they were pleasantly surprised to find that what I offer actually worked for them. I have worked with about 100 people professionally one-on-one, taught natural health concepts to hundreds, and over the past 15 years have given my knowledge and time to countless people. And in all that time, I have seen again and again and again people go from pain and suffering to freedom and joy, not because they took a pill or got advice from a doctor, but literally in spite of it. The system is broken. We need integrated health care with medical and natural health professionals working together for the benefit of the people. And until that happens, people are going to continue searching for support amidst a mass of paid misinformation by profit-oriented conglomerates and who will continue to turn to, quote, alternative medicine when the system fails them. I have had the personal pleasure of joining forces with multiple mainstream providers and I'm excited to be part of the change, to help my community learn the truth about natural health and to help bridge the gap between conventional and old medicine. This whole situation, you guys, makes me so angry because what it's doing is it's telling those who only found relief through unaccepted methods that they're fools and it tells those who are suffering despite adequate medical care not to bother trying. How many people are suffering needlessly because of selfishness and power and money-hungry companies? The American Botanical Council recently reported that while the average growth rate in recent years in herbal sales has been about 8.5% per year, it shot up by 17.3% in 2020, hitting an estimated $11 billion. These sales only included supplements where an herb was the primary ingredient, It didn't actually include herbal teas, cosmetics, or over-the-counter meds with herbs as active ingredients. In other words, the $11 billion is just a small piece of the money spent on natural remedies. According to the author's observations, the herbs included were for symptoms or situations that may have been connected to the pandemic, such as anxiety, immune system support, things like that, as well as things that were completely unrelated He said this, quote, this suggests that consumers were turning to herbal supplements for both acute and chronic conditions. The people are speaking with their money. I'm seeing a growing number of people dissatisfied with the system being literally, literally kicked out of their doctor's offices or simply choosing not to go back because they aren't getting their needs met. They're still sick, they're still in pain, and the options they have been given which are scientifically proven, by the way, are either not helping or they're causing more problems. They want something different and they're finding their answers in other methods just as effective and often safer and more effective. What Big Pharma doesn't know is that by stooping to name-calling, insults, and lies, they have shown their cards. The people are discovering the hidden agendas They're realizing that the stories don't make sense and they're not happy about it. So they're doing things differently and realizing that they should have done so a long time ago. But we're setting a new course. We're paving a new road. And if the trajectory continues, we'll have some people getting sicker and sicker and another group getting healthier and healthier. The question is which group do you want to be a part of? So, yes. You can ultimately choose to go see a conventional medical doctor and there will be times when that is appropriate for most people, there will be times. But that does not mean, that does not correlate that it is thus illogical to see an alternative care provider when it doesn't make sense to see your doctor. And there is no reason why it should be difficult for people like you and me, like everybody else, to find information that is available on the actual knowledge that we have around alternative medicine and herbal health specifically. There is no reason why that student that I saw last week should have any difficulty getting accurate information about the herbs that he was curious about. Doing a quick Google search should not automatically lead him to WebMD, which says, there's no studies on this. Why do they say that? Because they didn't feel like gathering the information to share. It literally is a commercial for medication. The information is out there and the doctors, could be very well meaning, but just not know. They're not skilled in herbal medicine. That's why they're doctors, not herbalists. They don't know. And the information that is not readily available to people because it's hidden by the companies is also not easily accessible to the same doctors that we're asking these questions about. So there is a big problem with this. And thankfully, it is changing. More knowledge has been gained around this. We are learning new things and we are realizing that the information is out there and that it's just been avoided, not disclosed, hidden. Why? That's the ultimate question. What are they afraid of? Are they afraid of losing money? Afraid of losing control? These lead to more questions. These are things for us to think about. Because ultimately I don't have the answers. But what I do know is that it's time to stop pretending that herbs don't work. And that is a that's a complete lie. It's not true and it's hurting people. So know that the information is out there. If you want to do research on an herb, you can find it. But you have to get past the Web MDs, you have to get past the New York Times articles, you have to get past all the the make-believe to get to the actual information so (laughs) if you are stuck and you feel like you don't have options or you feel like you've been backed into a corner if you feel like no one's listening to you or you can't find the information you need please reach out to me i would be very happy to point you in the right direction even if what you need is just a little bit of encouragement to keep going I love getting letters from you guys. You can reach me at laureltreewellness at gmail.com. Feel free to send me something. If you need support, I'm definitely here for you. And I hope that this podcast episode blessed you. I, I hope that it encouraged you to keep going, to trust yourself, to trust your ability to make choices. You know your body best. And... I'm curious to see where this will go from here. All right, you guys, have a good week. May you be blessed.